0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. This is our Southridge member podcast, helping people get the inside scoops on the life of our church. And uh, this weekend is kind of a big weekend around our church because we're going to be launching into a brand new ministry season. It's kind of kickoff Sunday coming up. And uh, one of the changes that we're excited about as we shift into this ministry season is actually a new uh, kind of co-hosting dynamic. For this weekly podcast, uh, starting in October, uh, I'm going to kind of share this role with uh, our current family ministry pastor, Carrie Jones. And so, Carrie's joining me today. And uh, to ease her into this role, we're going to give kind of a dry run uh, and have a conversation today about this fall ministry season, which is probably one of the most unpredictable ever. So, Carrie, welcome back and welcome to hosting. You can take it away.
1: Amazing. Thank you. It's good to be here. This is awesome. Okay. Well, I would love to just start by talking about the uniqueness of casting vision this fall in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, You know, Jeff, I know for a number of years you've launched our fall ministry season with a kickoff vision talk. And I guess I'm wondering how much harder is that to do during COVID-19?
0: Yeah, I, I mean providing a vision talk to a community is at some level probably more complicated than people think. It's it's more than just a pep talk mm. because you're trying to discern God's vision for our church, God's vision for this next era of our lives. I mean, we anchor everything When it comes to vision in that proverb in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So you you sort of think, okay, vision's pretty important. We ought to provide (laughs) vision every once in a while. But, you know, we've talked many times that in the actual translation of the word vision, it's more accurately translated revelation, meaning where there's an absence of God's revealed vision the people perish or you know they're they're in trouble. And so what you're actually trying to do in a in a vision talk is articulate your best sense or in collaboration with other leaders kind of your collective your collectively discerned best sense of how God wants to move among us in this season. And so that's kind of tricky in most years. Uh, but you know we've got a bit of a process down where you do some reflection and you get a bunch of different voices together and you collaborate and you develop some themes and you can kind of arrive at at least some general clarity that then hopefully you can inspire people to on the you know the motivational or the the pep talk side Uh of a vision talk what's hard right now is that we're in a Heightened level of uncertainty, yeah. And so, with everything uncertain, including, you know, when and if we're going to be reopening. I mean, starting tomorrow, uh, kids go back to school, and I know that's a huge wild card of how the kids going back to school is going to affect uh, infection rates and contagiousness of the virus, and whether we're going to see a second wave and whether we're going to have to shut things back down or whether we'll be able to kind of resume in this phase three that we find ourselves in. And so there's, there's, there's so much uncertainty, not that life is ever certain, but there's just this extra layer of complete uncertainty that you know, it, it, it creates some complexity. Now, having said that, I find comfort in the fact that God already knows mm. that we're in a pandemic. He already knew long ago that we didn't be in a pandemic. And in the, in the macro story of the work of God in the world, we already know what chapter of the story we're in. We're in that era of restoration yeah. between the resurrection and ascension of Christ, where he left us with his Holy spirit until the time when Jesus returns and establishes his new heaven and new earth. And so we're in this era of restoration. And, you know, there's another proverb that says, you know, many are the plans of man, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Sure. And so, you know, in a time like this, even in just unprecedented uncertainty, at least in my lifetime, I, I think we can always be certain of the timeless plan of God. And so really the, the the vision talk this year is sort of a combination of two things. It's a combination of how do we imagine ourselves navigating COVID and dealing with this utter uncertainty? Uh-huh. And at the same time, what do we know for sure, for sure about the timeless restorative vision of God that he's already revealed to us? Yep. And what might that look like in our context in the timing of 2020 and 2021, where we find ourselves. So that's sort of the backstory of, I, I would say, how we, and particularly me as the, the the vision caster this coming weekend, how how we're processing this this year.
1: Okay, that's fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm super interested in this on a, a lot of levels, especially because I find myself in conversations these days where people, myself included, are really hungry for what is that vision I think we're so many months into this pandemic, we're just longing for more clarity around what is the vision that God is calling us to in this season. So, how does navigate COVID become a compelling vision for our community?
0: Yeah, I think for a lot of churches it doesn't. I I think for a lot of churches, you know, navigate COVID has just been a plain old struggle, and and for ours, I I would say it has at some degree as well. Um, Certainly. COVID has affected our capacity to do ministry in the ordinary ways that we have become accustomed to doing ministry. Sure. The the question is in those challenges, has it created opportunities? And for me, I, I feel like the biggest opportunity that just purely navigating COVID is providing us is the opportunity to learn for once and for all time how to be the church without going to church. Mm -hmm. You know, I I drive by this church. I've told a few people, I live in the West end of St. Catharines and there's a church that I drive by often that says all church activities closed until further notice. Wow. And I understand what they're trying to communicate because in a lot of ways, our typical church programs are in many ways, they're also closed until further notice as well. But you know, just that, that brand of the church is closed, period, really betrays Jesus' vision for what the church is and what what he intends it to be, right? This living, breathing, difference-making, light-shining, you know, kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, ushering kind of entity. Uh And so I think what is compelling about, hey, we're going to navigate COVID, and you know, you talked about that uncertainty. I think that when we're talking about navigating COVID, what we're not going to do is provide any greater certainty. We we can't do that. What we can do is provide clarity. Yeah. And there's a difference, right? In times of uncertainty, I've heard people say, you know, people really need clarity, even if they can't get certainty. The clarity that we can provide is that we can still be, and we can seize the opportunity like never before to continue leaning in and growing and learning and what it means to be a church without being able to go to church, without being able to gather in large group ways. So what it means to foster a lifestyle of inspiration and grow in a practice-based faith, Mm -hmm. what it means to foster a lifestyle of connection and lean into our life group infrastructure to be helpmates to one another like never before, Mm -hmm. you know, what it means to foster a lifestyle of action And to advance the cause of compassion and justice and be a visible difference making people in the parts of Niagara where God has placed us like never before. You know, what it looks like to serve families and help families navigate the anxieties of, you know, especially even the going back to school season like never before. I I believe that we can still take huge strides in being the church like never before. Even if, as we navigate COVID, you know, we can't gather in that traditional large group, you know, auditorium style way. But to me, that's a good thing. A friend and mentor of mine has said, I hope that in this season, churches and especially church leaders can overcome their addiction for Sunday morning gatherings. Hmm. And I feel like so often, even in our surrounding society, you know, we, we, we associate a life of faith as it relates to the church as going to church. That's why we call faith-based people church goers. Right. And so, you know, if through COVID we can navigate COVID by shifting us from being purely or primarily church goers to those who personally and together in community are being the church like never before, I think just on its own, that's a huge win.
1: Massive, massive.
0: Really what we've always wanted our church to be about. Absolutely. And I feel like so often that gravitational pull towards reducing everything to that hour on Sundays kind of vacuums us back into that paradigm, even though that's never been God's vision for his church, let alone for our church. For sure.
1: Okay, that's cool. Well, as you prepare for the kickoff um, that we're launching next weekend, what else is emerging as a part of God's vision for our community this year? What else are you sensing?
0: Yeah, that would be the other half of, of what I would see as unique to this vision talk. Obviously, half of it is just navigating COVID, uh-huh. which as unthrilling as that may <laughs> feel, I think there's actually tremendous opportunity there. So, you know, that's part of the talk for sure. But there are also some, I would say, some themes that have been emerging that would represent, from my understanding and from some Collaboration with other other leaders, including yourself, um, would represent timeless values that God would have his church advance that seem to be timely for us these days. So, for example, um, I I would feel like the value of advocacy Mm -hmm. is something that we need to face as a community and maybe more of a formalized way. I, I think there are two sort of dynamics that have been emerging. On the one hand, I feel like, you know, we've got these three locations with three very intact, vibrant anchor causes Mm -hmm. and a number of people from each community that are involved in these anchor causes expressing compassion to a marginalized people group in a friendship makes a difference kind of way. It's very inspiring and compelling. In each case, though, it feels like that friendship makes a difference has us at a bit of a A a threshold where now people, I'm seeing this in all of our locations now, people are wondering how they can not just provide support to their struggling friend, but how they can actually take a step further and try to mitigate or actually end their struggle. Yeah. And I've heard our action pastor, Nate Dirks, describe it as pulling kids out of the river. You know, there's there's kids sort of drowning in the river and as friends we're reaching in and we're dragging people out of the river and dragging them out of the river and dragging them out of the wind, out of the river as an act of compassion. But mm. at some point your mind shifts gears and you start to wonder, how can I change the current upstream? Mm. Or how can I prevent people from actually falling into the river in the first place? That's more on the the lines of advocacy or what Pastor Nate would refer to as addressing systemic change. Right. And I I feel like that's happening when it comes to the 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 place where God has all of our anchor causes. I also feel like as a as a church community in our overall journey of inclusion and equality, which has taken a number of different themes over the years. I mean, there were there were years where you and I were working very closely with Ellen Duffield around the female leadership empowerment movement. And that still is a thing today Mm -hmm. uh, that matters obviously to to people like you and I, but, but that was very foreground for a time. Yeah. And then, you know, for, I would say four or five years, we had our shoulder to the plow of really trying to become a church that could navigate through a a, a way to foster legitimate LGBTQ inclusion. Mm -hmm. And, And that journey at some level, not that it's concluded, but at some level, We navigated through the the difficult parts of that journey, kind of concluding with a a church wide presentation last year. And so there have been these eras of equality and inclusion that we've tried to champion. And, you know, not surprisingly, the the Black Lives Matter Mm. primacy that our world has been paying attention to lately, um, you know, that's become something that as a leadership we've had to stare at and, and acknowledge, hey, Sure. our church community, our leadership is not uh, as racially diverse and reflective of a racially diverse community as it ought to be. And so we're still far more predominantly white than we probably should be. Mm-hmm. And as a result, are probably more reflective of white privilege and white supremacy and, and things like that, that we may not even be fully aware of. And so we've got to take a look at that. What's interesting, though, in in this particular dynamic of equality and inclusion is that in some of those other examples, female leadership empowerment or LGBTQ inclusion, things like that, it felt like to me as a as a church leader, our job was to get the church caught up with the rest of the world. Sure. Like we were behind culture when it came to female inclusion. We were behind culture yeah. when it came to LGBTQ inclusion. But it when it comes to Black Lives Matter and racial diversity, you know, racial equality, it, it feels like On the one hand, culture isn't really all that far ahead of the church. On the other hand, people are looking to the church to be an advocate for cultural change, even beyond just our church. And so Mm. both with our anchor causes, where I'm finding this, this shift from just compassion to maybe more advocacy towards systemic change, and in this overall equality and inclusion issue like racial injustice, We find ourselves kind of at this moment in time where I think God wants us to learn some things about both what it means to be an advocacy of justice and systemic change to a greater degree, and maybe more importantly, how to do that in a unifying way, because so often advocacy can be so polarizing. And yet I found it interesting this summer, we had a a three-week series called It Takes a Village where we heard exclusively from Black, Indigenous, and people of color voices. And then right away, we followed that up with a a three-week series uh, called One Prayer Niagara, where we celebrated the primary value that God has of unity. And so Mm. at some level, I'm curious to see God move among us in a way that both raises our capacity for advocacy and teaches us how to do that in a more unifying way, being that one answer to the prayer of the one who answers all of ours. Oh, that's amazing.
1: Okay, now you said there was two things. So what's the there's yeah. advocacy and what's the second?
0: yeah the other the other one, I mean, you would be familiar with this in family ministry and especially in your relationship with our our uh, favorite student ministry pastor Keith <laughs> Guy, or, Um, there there's been, I would say quite a, a bit of conversation around the next generation. Hmm. And uh, again, there's kind of two two angles to this. One would just be purely at a at a staff level. You you and I know that we conduct a, a workplace culture survey every year, and we pay attention to that workplace culture survey to find out the the good, bad, and ugly of at least employee life at Southridge. And one of the things that has been growing in the last number of years that we've really had to stare the, uh, stare at pretty closely this year. Is an increasing generational divide, right? And so it's caused us to ask, what What's up with that? Why do, you know, older people, and we'll include you and I in the older people category, why Why do older people generally really enjoy working here, and younger people tend to struggle a little bit more? Why Why is there a divide in the in the workplace? And then on top of that, you've got the experience of someone like Keith, or I would say even Jill Venema, when she was in the the kids pastor role. Who have felt like our ministry to kids and to developing young adults is kind of a segregated entity mm. and not as much of an integrated entity as people understood it was back in the day where our church was engaging in that process that we now refer to as a generational transfer, where mm. there was this intergenerational harmony and we were functioning, you know, much more as a multi-generational church, as one kind of cohesive unit all of us contributing together ideally for the raising of the next generation and for the handing of the baton of leadership responsibility over to them and so really with i would say some pressure primarily from keith although he wouldn't be the only voice we're really sensing that you know now at some level is the time for us to start waving that flag to a greater degree again Mm -hmm. This time with, you know, those of us who were once the recipients of that generational transfer now being the, the investors of, or the investors into another generation. I think that, that that's emerging as another theme. So we're, you know, we're navigating COVID, we're discovering what it means to be advocates in unity. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're wondering what it would be like to be more intergenerational and specifically to invest to a greater degree into the next generation, if not, foster another round of generational transfer to them. Wow, that's big.
1: Okay, so related to those values of advocacy and, and the next gen, um, you know there's a sense in which there, there's a need for a greater investment in leadership development. So can you talk about that and can you talk about where does that sense of that need come from?
0: Yeah, that's a great question because you know internally we've been we've been talking a lot about how at some level that becomes a fourth key value or a, or key emerging theme is just this 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 increasingly pressing need for leadership development. I, I would say that it's a factor of wanting to raise these other three values, mm-hmm. wanting to navigate COVID in a way that can capture all the opportunity of being the church. Even if you can't go to church, you know, raise the value of advocacy and unity, raise the value of next gen investment and generational transfer, because all of those, in in, in the case of all of those, the sun kind of rises and sets on leadership and on leadership development. For me, it anchors in, in the words of Jesus in Matthew 9 and verse 37. You know, before that, it says that Jesus, when he walked this earth, he looked at the crowds. And it says he had compassion on them because of the immensity of their need. Mm. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then in response to that feeling, he says in verse 37 of Matthew chapter 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers to his harvest field. Mm. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And you know, Carrie, as a church leader, we always live in that economy, that yeah. the, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, there's always more need than we have capacity to, to meet. What's interesting, though, in that text is that when Jesus talks about the harvest being plentiful and the workers being few, and the, the word he uses for workers, and pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers, that, that term, workers, is the same term that he uses previously when he says the people are like sheep without a shepherd. He's talking specifically about shepherding type workers or leader type workers, that there is a deficiency of leaders to mobilize all the people in order to meet this need in the fullest and most comprehensive way. And so, you know, if we are in fact going to be this community that can increasingly shine the light of Christ in being the church, even though we can't go to church. And if we're going to be this church that can increasingly advocate for justice and systemic change and do that in an increasingly unified way. And if we can be this church that can raise the profile of intergenerational community life and ministry, and specifically make an investment in the next gen, you know for us to meet those those the, the immensity of those needs is also going to us is also going to require us to raise the value of leadership development so that we can send out more workers into those harvest fields mm, totally. so you know point number one is that there's there's just an immensity of leadership and leadership development need in our community in order for God to realize his redemptive potential among us. Mm-hmm the The other thing is that you know in increasing ways, we find ourselves being drawn on and looked to by other communities to share in the leadership development of them right to help them grow as leaders, to help them understand you know how to become communities that foster lifestyle of full devotion in their context, to help them discover how to be a church even if they can't go to go to church at this time and and so there's a there's a mentoring component there where you know, we want to figure out how to grow in leadership development to share those learnings and innovations with others. Mm. And then I would say on top of that, you know, that that value of sharing leadership development, learnings and innovations with others is something that for whatever reason, God has networked us together with, oh, probably, probably a half dozen other ministries and leadership development agencies across country, our, our country, mm-hmm. if not beyond, you know, I think about the Global Leadership Network or the Family Life Network or Alpha or Compassion or oh, the yeah. Jesus Collective or, you know, Tim Day's City Movement or even our denomination or uh-huh. Camp Crossroads as a leadership development ministry. Or there's, there's just so many kind of entities in our network that we could partner together with both to share leadership development learnings for the broader church, as well as to partner together with to make an even stronger investment into our own church. And so it really behooves us to, in this day and age, Mm -hmm. highlight the value of leadership development around here in Southridge to a, a much greater and much more intentional degree.
1: Oh, that's exciting, which is something that's always been very core to who we are, Um, but sounds like in the coming weeks and months and years, it will become even more so.
0: Well, I remember early on when, when back in the day, when you were a board member, uh, back when you could revel in being my employer, um, you know, we, we, we developed as a board, the concept of this co-curricular time. Sure. And the, the heart of it was to steward many of our staff and especially our senior leaders into ministry to people and to leaders beyond just our local church and to try to be generous in that way and to give away, you know, in, instead of having our staff invest beyond Southridge in their over and above time, in their vacation time or in time that would take them away from their 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 downtime or their families or their spouses to actually build that into their work rhythm mm-hmm. so that we as a church, we're generously stewarding our church resources in that way. And you know, I think from there, it's created this network and it's only opened an increasing number of doors of opportunity for us as a church and for us as church leaders in it to be able to invest ourselves in that way.
1: Well, that's fantastic. Well, that's actually a very good segue because one of the things I'm dying to actually ask you about, um, I know that you are deep into a very cool initiative that's actually quite personal to your own leadership journey. And I'm wondering if you could Share with us a bit about what that is and how it came about and kind of where things are at with that.
0: Yeah, this, this, this has been uh, kind of my own personal navigating COVID uh, <laughs> experience, which has been super cool. If you can remember back to right around Easter, after Easter, we launched a brand new service that we had kind of made up on the fly in response to COVID called Working Out Our Faith Home Edition. Yeah. And the series was going to be a nine week of all things. It was going to be a nine week investment into a practice based faith. And so for me, you know, in the week of Easter, you could call that holy week, I guess (laughs) some, some personal reflections on what this spring season is going to look like for me. And, and particularly, you know, all of my kids activities had been shut down. And so my life was quite a bit simpler then. And I, I, I was really feeling this conviction on, you know, what is the spring gonna look like for me in a way that doesn't just have me by the 30th of June, you know, having watched the Michael Jordan documentaries or watched Tiger King and just binged on Netflix. Like mm-hmm. what 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 is this spring gonna look like productively in the space that God has made available? And so what I kind of felt myself doing in that Easter week leading into this series. Was knowing that we were going to invite people into nine weeks of experimenting with spiritual practices, I kind of made this commitment to commit those nine weeks to experiment with the spiritual practice of writing for myself. Mm. And to take some of the innovations and some of the different things that we often speak on or share with other churches, or even that we orient our own staff and church to when it comes to our own vision and things, to try to document them. And there was about 18 or 20 things that I, I wanted to kind of write on. So i made this list and I thought, you know, if I could engage in this spiritual practice and knock off two of these a week mm-hmm. over the course of these nine weeks, I could kind of knock off this list. And I'll tell you halfway into that nine week journey, that list was done. Wow. And I had at that point kind of this first draft, like manuscript of sorts uh-huh. of our church's journey that I was able then to kind of send to a half dozen or so key people to start to get some feedback on, to actually see if this would be the kind of resource that could not only benefit people around Southridge to understand with a greater degree of clarity who we as a leadership understand God desiring us to be and to become, but whether this could become a resource that, like many other things that we offer, could be generously stewarded to help people beyond Southridge hmm. become more, uh, and, and particularly churches, become more of the community that God intends them to be. And so that's kind of in the works right now, uh, you know, receiving these these edits from these key people.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So what stage would it be at right now? So it's getting edits and it's well, like... It was, yeah,
0: it was a crappy first draft, as Anne Lamont calls it in her sure. book bird by bird.
1: Um,
0: And, and uh, I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks to turn that crappy first draft into a bit more refined second draft that then I hope to send out to a few more voices for just feedback and input to try to really Mm. uh, start getting it refined. I mean, I've never written anything before of this consequence. And so I really have no idea where that's going. Uh, A friend and mentor of mine, Tim Day, I've already referred to in this podcast. Uh, published a book called God Enters Stage Left. Uh The subtitle is Plot Twist, where he talks about the the meta-narrative of God's activity in human history. So that monomythic cycle that we often refer to. Mm -hmm. And he told me that that book required 25 drafts before it got to its first draft published. Wow. And even when it got published, it wasn't until the third publishing that it was mistake-free. So I'm at sort of draft two <laughs> right now, and I have no idea how long that's gonna take, but I'm kind of excited about it and and the clarity that it could provide all of us in finding our way. That's the 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 working title of it. Okay. Because that's been so that's been so kind of core to our sense of journey and adventure as a church community.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I think we can all we can all agree that we'll be looking forward to getting our hands on that. Are there any final encouragements or challenges to our members in advance of um, our kickoff Sunday vision talk that you would want to give us before we wrap up today?
0: Well, other than please show up on (laughs) September 13th and engage with us. I know that in the summer season, I've even found this during my own summer break, you know, you can drift from that 10 a.m. Sunday morning or even drift from catching that week's online service pretty easily. And uh, I, I, found myself experiencing that as well and knowing what it's like to be a, a regular congregate in that regard. So, you know, I would encourage everyone to be part of that kickoff service, you know, even if you can experience the premiere, uh, ideally and to share this with as many people as possible. We want this, this type of vision talk to be the kind of thing that can be a line in the sand where other people can join in and, start from scratch in being part of this next era of the life of our church. So, you know, to really take advantage of the talk and the season itself, Mm. I would say, you know, over and above that, Carrie, is just to, to really lean in to the underlying vision that God has given us of this way of life in community that we can be as a church even or especially when we can't go to church. Because I feel like even when you know, a vaccine comes along or whatever and, and, and we can reconvene in some way, the worst thing would be for us to devolve back into feeding that addiction
1: mm. in the
0: one hour of Sunday mornings. Let's be a people who use this season to seize the opportunity to discover and to share the wonder of, of this bride and body of Christ to be the church like never before and and use the opportunity that the pandemic's giving us to be the church in that way.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, thanks, Jeff. And thanks everyone for joining us. We'll see you next week as we continue to find our way together. Take care.